Welcome to another episode of Syscast, the show where we talk Linux, open source and web development. My name is Matthias Genjar and today I am joined by none other than Daniel Stenberg, who you may know from a little project called Curl or LibGurl. Hi there, Daniel. How are you? Hey, good evening. Good evening. Super glad to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Um, just in case the audience, well, the audience I'm going to assume knows what Curl is and they'll probably know what LibGurl is. Um, but they may not know you by name. So could you introduce yourself? Who are you? What do you do in your real life? Uh, there's a real life too. Uh, <laughs> non, uh, a non-online life. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the real life too. Yeah. So uh, yes, I, I, uh, I'm the lead developer and maintainer of the Curl project, which I started. Um, I started the project a long time ago. It actually started before I, mean, I named it curl, but I named it curl and the first curl version was released in 1998. So it turned a little, it's a little bit over 18 years old now. Um, so that's sort of my main spare time project. And I've been doing open source and networking related open source, uh, a bunch of other projects too, for, for a long while. And that is sort of what's been driving me on my spare time. And in, in my day job, I've been a, consultant and software developer since uh, yeah, long before that, of course. And um, well, in 2014, I got employed by Mozilla. So nowadays I work at, for Mozilla on Firefox and the, in the Firefox networking team. That's super cool. Um, is, is that a full-time job for you? That is a full-time. Well, actually, I, I actually am allowed by Mozilla to work on curl part-time. So I actually do curl part-time and the rest is Firefox. And then I do curl part-time too, but yeah. Okay, but, so at that point, um, hobby and business and professionality just blend right into <laughs> one <laughs> exactly. giant online mix. One blur, just just a lot of networking, open source code. Indeed, it sounds like um, something really up your alley, perfect for you. Um, uh, so you started Curl a really long time ago. It, it's it's sort of embarrassing to say for me because um, I think you started Curl when I was ten or twelve. <laughs> that, that says something about the age of the Curl project. Um, and the age of me, perhaps. <laughs> I did not want to say that but that you mentioned. Um, so why did you get started with Curl? What what motivated you to to start Curl? Well, I. Already at that time, I had been dabbling with other open source things and, and the networking. And at the time, actually, in, mid, in the mid-90s, I and a couple of other friends, we wrote an IRC bot that just, um, well, on the ORC, back when the Fnet uh, IRC split back in the middle of the 90s. Uh, and then we wrote a bot for a couple of channels that we hang out in. And then we wanted that IRC bot to be able to um, provide currency rates for other for, for people that were chatting in the IRC channel. So I just wanted a little tool to fetch uh, currency rates every now and then. And they appeared on uh, websites, of course, so they were available over HTTP. So I just needed a little tool to transfer currency rates over HTTP. And at the time, I didn't find any other. I found a little tool called HTTP Get, but back then that I started working on and with. And that is sort of how it all started. It sounds like if you look at where Curl is today, that sounds like such a weird way to start a project that became so big. Um, I, it's, it's a niche. You had to scratch it. And um, well, yeah, like most I, projects. I think, 
I think exactly. I think that is quite common that you actually find a problem that you want to solve and you just solve it. And then another person comes along and solves a related problem. And then you find another reason to go ahead and sort of and then it just grows from there. And that's sort of been the story ever since. So that, I mean, I, I think I've scratched most of my own itches. Now it's more like uh, uh, fixing the problems that I've introduced and making making sure that it gets better. And and uh, now it's just uh, uh, sort of the the joy of making something that a lot of people are using and making sure that it actually works as good as possible. Yes, and I think what you're doing has an, an, uh, the, the ability and it already has an immense impact on the web that we know today, the web that we use or the, the applications that we use to interact with it. Um, it's an insanely large project. I, I think um, curl is, well, mostly a two-part project. There's curl, the command line interface that we use at the command line to interact with the protocol. And then there's libcurl. Could you describe where are they different? Yes. Uh, well... It started out as a command line tool back, uh, but then in 1998, and and uh, and I pretty soon, and already when we when I released the first version of curl, it it could already uh, do HTTP, FTP, and Gopher, and it could upload to FTP and it could upload uh, data to HTTP. So, but quite, it wasn't that long until we I realized, and I got requests from people that wanted to incorporate sort of the file transfer abilities into their own programs. So they wanted a piece of curl into their own programs to make sure that their programs con could uh, download and upload data using these protocols. So of course, it sort of uh, came natural for me to um, export the file transfer abilities or the, the actual sort of the core of the command line tool into a library. And I had basically designed it from like that from the beginning. So I converted internals of the command line tool into a library. So libcurl, the library was released 2001, the first time. And that is basically a, um, a small C API to do network transfers using these protocols that we support, which of course over time has turned out to be a rather large amount of protocols, but still. So but it's it's an insanely large list. Actually, if you look at the website, what curl like, what curl supports, um, I think we mostly know it from HTTP and HTTPS. But that is far from everything that it does. It's, it's is there yeah. any protocol that you do not support? <laughs> well, there are um, there are many protocols in this world. So yes, there. But it supports. I believe it depends on your account. But it's like twenty one protocols or something like that. But but as you say, it's mostly known for HTTP and it's also mostly used for HTTP and HTTPS actually. So the biggest protocols that are actually that people are using uh, uh, libcurl with and curl for that matter is uh, they are HTTP, HTTPS, FTP, FTPS, and SFTP. Exactly what you initially designed it for as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, libcurl is, is a library, a C library. It's used in PHP, in Python, in Ruby, pretty much any language that you can think of somehow or somewhere uses libcurl. That's, how does that work? How do, you, how do they interact with you? How do you make sure that's compatible or that their, their wishes, their features work with what you had as as a design for the library well um it mostly works by us i should say us because it's certainly not just me alone so we're, we're a team making this so we provide a library with 
uh, an as stable and solid API as just possible. So we provide an API that just doesn't change. If you write an, a program today, it'll work with the with the libcurl we release like five or ten years down the road as well. That makes that makes it reliable, and and uh, people won't really have to communicate back to us much if they just rely on the API. They can do whatever they want. So most of these users of libcurl, they they don't they don't really communicate back to us. We deliver our things. They use it. So th that's sort of how it goes mostly. You're building the API that is powering most of the programming languages that we are that we're actually using today on the web. It's it's a cool behind the scenes job, I think. Really powerful way to be. Um, you uh, you wrote a blog post not so long ago um, where you claimed, and I think it's probably right, that Curl has over a billion users. Um, that's 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 not a number that you just randomly came up with i think no it's not an no it's, it's certainly not uh, but in, in i i tend to avoid speaking about users too because users is such a hard concept when you're making a component that is often used within devices and services and tools for example you know libcurl is used in um, in ios uh, uh, Apple phones, iDevices, so in iPads and iPhones, and um, Apple say, says there's a billion active devices, right? That's a billion right there. And then um, it is, and then I, I tend to view it like I know that, for example, Facebook is also sort of an intense user of libcurl in their backend stuff. Of course, that doesn't really make it that everybody who uses Facebook is a user, but it still sort of empowers and enables a lot of users. Exactly, it's the building blocks that we use every day. Uh, did you ever think it would be this popular? No, no, I had, I had, I had no such sort of, maybe I could have, have dreamt about it, but I, I, I could never anticipate it, I had never expected it, so it just, and I didn't even really even notice when it happened, it just slowly, slowly, gra gradually took over like this. You gradually took over the world. <laughs> it just right. sort of happens. <laughs> so, you know, that happens. It could happen to anyone. <laughs> I think uh, anyone that's starting an open source project um, probably aspires to become like Curl or reach its popularity. Um, I don't think there are a lot of different projects that have reached the same kind of, if not users, at least use cases or, or implementations than uh, as Curl. Um, so I think that that puts you in the open source world, at least at least in the top 10. I would think so too, at least if you sort of count by volume of uh, instances that occur in the world, I, I would I would say so too. Exactly. Um, you, uh, you mentioned it already, Curl supports a variety of protocols, not just HTTP or HTTPS. I think if you, if I remember correctly, it supports POP3, IMAP, um, to Telnet, to, to all kinds of protocols, we probably don't even know curl supports. Um, how can you keep that inside a single client? Isn't is, that that has to be really hard to keep that many protocols to work? Mm, yes and no. It sort of goes like this: that the most 
used protocols, they sort of get the most tested and most they get also get more bug reports. But it also goes the other way then. So the, the less used protocols, they, they get less used and we get less fewer bug reports on those and sort of so it isn't really that hard and, and also once we've made implementation we have the test cases we have the documentation they they're usually fairly easy and easy going to just keep keep going as they are and just they don't they don't hurt as much uh, while they're there so no it's not that hard I mean, it, it grows the, the code base and it makes certain things more complicated, but usually more protocols, uh, uh, that's not really what makes it harder to maintain. What's, we have other insane things that are, make things harder. For example, that we support a lot of different TLS backends for, for those protocols that supports TLS. And that, that more, that's more of a struggle and a battle to keep sanity. You mean because each of those TLS implementations it's slightly different from the other one, or how do you mean? Yes, exactly. They they're all different. They're all they have all different FPIs. They have all the different flaws and and uh, sort of pros and cons. And we have to write a glue layer for each of one of them. And you know, TLS that means basically security, and security is hard. So it's sort that's of, an endless source of potential problems. I mean, security wise, and just. Uh, Complexity-wise, I can I can see that, especially if, if you're following the web. Um, the last couple of years, um, a lot of TLS ciphers have been found to be vulnerable to attacks. A lot of them have been deprecated. New ones come along. There are a lot of new protocols and ciphers being discussed right now. They all have to be implemented and maintained on your end. Yeah, yeah. I don't exactly. I don't have to implement the ciphers since that's those are or in the TLS libraries, so they are implemented in the TLS libraries. But I have often have to adapt our use of the libraries so that we make sure that we only use the correct parts of the libraries and so on, and, and use the libraries correctly. So that, that is actually a source of, uh, of many of our, our, our recent security problems have been that it turns out that we haven't used the APIs properly for the specific libraries or whatever. I'm glad that you mentioned it because um, you, you call it uh, security issues. I think there really haven't been that many in curl and that the last one was about two months ago, I think, for a rather obscure use of a particular TLS implementation. Yes, right. Yeah, and I think that is sort of uh, uh, how our security problems have been over the years, that they've been pretty specific for certain use cases. We have a fair share of them, but none, none very serious so far. And we're <laughs> we're trying our best to so not let any one of those slip in. Um, a couple of years ago, OpenSSL had its um, its share of problems. Uh, as a result of it, there were a couple of forks from large projects. We have uh, PolarSSL, we have BoringSSL, LibreSSL. Do those forks make it more difficult for you to implement in curl, or is it really all standardized and doesn't matter that much? Mm, yes and no. I mean, if uh, any project that supports OpenSSL, uh, the OpenSSL API, uh, will have it fairly easy to also support LibreSSL and BoringSSL because they're sort of, at least in, in and, and their LibreSSL and BoringSSL are sort of diverging from the OpenSSL way slowly in different directions. So it is fairly easy, or it has been fairly easy, at least up until now, but I'm sure that they all three 
majority of them will go different paths from now on. So, so the difficulty will increase from here. Uh, so I don't know exactly where that will go or, or how we and everyone else will handle that. But they, at some point in time, we, we will probably, I don't know, it depends on how they behave, but they might at some point be considered different libraries and not just forks of the once open SSL API. Would make sense. They, they they forked it in the first place because they disagreed with probably a lot of choices that were made. Um, it only makes sense that those projects slowly diverge into their own their own settlement. Um, yes, and also OpenSSL has changed a lot since after the forks. So even in the the OpenSSL project has sort of shaped up in a lot of ways since after the forks were made. So they are cleaning up their API quite intensively right now. And the other ones are not following that API cleanup the same way. So they're sort of cleaning up the problems in different ways. Do you see all those forks as a good thing or a bad thing for security? Mm, I'm not sure how it will be, how it will turn out for security in the long run. In general, I think forks are useful because it sort of unblocks certain development bottlenecks that, that can happen in projects. But it also spreads the efforts so that now we're, have, now we're having three teams working on basically the same thing instead of having one team. So I'm not sure. I, I think we'll just have to see what, what the future shows. It, it can be good. It can be bad. Hard to tell which which way it'll go. If only we could predict the future. <laughs> uh, I, I think I share your opinion in this. The, in a way, the forks have um, already motivated OpenSSL to move. I'm not sure in a faster way, but in a different way, in a more secure way. Uh, at the same time, as you mentioned, the forks are probably heading in slightly different directions, and that will put a bit more effort on those implementing the the, the libraries like curl. At one point, that's it's. Not unthinkable that just implementation details are going to be done wrong by implementers, not only in curl but everywhere OpenSSL is being used. It's it's going to be more difficult or more easy to make a mistake uh, if all of those projects take on their own path. So that could be bad for security. It's time will tell. Yes, but uh, I I also think that um, um, a little depending on what OpenSSL does, I think that uh, for example LibreSSL might have problems getting traction. So why would people switch to LibreSSL when, if OpenSSL sort of shapes up enough and they change their API at the same time? So I, I think maybe in the long run, LibreSSL will have a hard time to keep up and boring SSL is Google anyway. So Google is going to make their own uh, routes. So, so they, they're not really affected by what anyone else does anyway. So it depends also what happens and in the boring SSL case which is Google's library then they basically make a boring SSL for their own purposes so they haven't really made it really easy for others to keep up and to use it so we'll see what happens true their use case is slightly different from all of us uh, mere mortals trying to run a web server <laughs> yes <laughs> they basically write it to for their own purposes exactly indeed um, switching back a bit to curl, um, I think if if we're thinking of um, HTTP clients at the command line, most people will either know curl or wget. Um, does that feel like a competition to you? Is there a race between you and wget to be the best, or do you work together? Uh, both, I would say. Uh, I I like to sort of encourage that we should have 
have this image of a competition, so the fighting that we take uh, stabs at each other. But in, in reality, we, we really don't. Uh, I participate somewhat in the WGET project. I've contributed code to it, so I tend to follow along what they're doing. And um, otherwise, I, I'd say that we we are not that similar in, in many ways. We do. There, there's a small overlap in features like getting a single URL downloaded to a file, but <clears throat> that's also a very small overlap, I would say. Well, that's, uh, that's the basics of uh, of both tools, of course. I, I, I'm not that familiar with WGET, but I'm sure that Curl supports a lot more uh, protocols where WGET is perhaps more um, simple. And I don't mean that in a ne negative way, but it, a simpler way of acting. Yes, and and also, it, it is more. It is really specifically designed to download files, and it's as a command line tool. So yes, it, it'll, for example, what I tend to emphasize the main difference is with with wget. You can, for example, download recursively from a website, so it'll actually parse HTML to find other files to also download and parse and download and parse and so on. And that's sort of way off what curl will never do in curl's case we never ever parse or understand the data it downloads it'll just download whatever you tell it to download it'll it won't understand what it did it gets as wget in that case is um, a lot of people use it to get a mirror from a website or to scan a website for particular 404s um, in, in a way what wget is um, uh, more of an implementation of the entire protocol and, and the HTML spec, actually, not just the HTTP spec. Exactly. And it's more, it's, it's, so that is more targeted to actually helping users to download stuff as a command line tool better than curl is, I would say. If if you want to fiddle with a protocol more, I would say that's, that's curl as a tool for that. If you want to download just... Uh, URLs or many URLs that then WGET might be the right answer. Okay. Uh, lately, there's been a lot of traction going for uh, a third client. It's called HTTPy or HTTP, however you could pronounce it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they want it to be HTTPy, not HTTPy. Yeah, it's, it's it's confusing naming when when you write it down. <laughs> um, it's it's getting really popular on GitHub, and I think most of it is done, um, or most of its its popularity is attributed to very fancy screenshots that they can show, um, where the output is just being colored, as in headers are being shown in key value pairs with uh, clear color distinctions. The HTML output is being uh, well run through some kind of parser that can it can uh, color in output. Um, how do you feel about that? Well, those new clients emerging. Well, I think that's just great. I mean, if there's a need, or or if people want to write it and people want to use them, so fine. That is just great. And I also I also also think that's good for innovation. People can try out different things and offer features. And of course, if if people if people then think that those features are so awesome that we should also have them, then I'm sure that someone will eventually make them happen for Curl too, if if they would be that sort of interesting. In my case, I tend to just get overloaded with things to do anyway. So um, there's hardly a shortage of things to do. So even if so, things like, for example, enhancing the command line tool Curl to do a colored output that tends to end up far way down 
on in my to-do list. So I, I don't think I personally will work on that, but it, it would be a, a cool feature to add. It's of course only a, a visual feature. It, it looks good. Um, I've uh, I've tried the HTTP Pi or however you would pronounce it um, a couple of times, and the, the colored output is nice. But somehow um, uh, I've been using curl for somewhere around ten years now. The, um, the the commands, the flags, the parameters—they're all hardwired into my brain. Um, I've tried a lot of different clients, but once you get your head around the, the parameters in curl, it's um, it's a bit like choosing a wife. Once you get used to the wife, you never you never ch- uh, change it again. It it works. It works. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yep. then I also think that sort of uh, people are using curl to, to such a large extent to you know uh, show how an API works or describe it on websites. So there's so much documentation and online tricks and hints and help everywhere that shows how to do it with curl command lines and so on. So I think it is easy to sort of get into the curl way of doing things. Exactly. It's, it's to me as well, um, a perfect learning school to learn how to use the HTTP protocol. Um, most people that use curl for the first time probably just use it to download a file and pipe it somewhere and that's it. And then you get into the, to the, the options where you can show headers, you can manipulate headers, you can set custom headers. Um, that, that's where the fun really starts with curl. It's diving into the protocol and um, experimenting, setting different headers, seeing how it responds. That's the that's real power of curl. Right, that sort of that protocol level uh, uh, control that you get or, or powers to change things and fiddle with things. Exactly. So yes, and that is then also sort of makes curl very popular for like simulating a web browser, web browser or automating things that you could do with a web browser, but you want to script it or oh, yeah. whatever. Imagine how many uh, monitoring agents and clients are building on top of curl to fetch pages, check if a status code is uh, ready and wake some kind of engineer in the middle of the night if that's not the case. Exactly, uh, yeah. So that's I think that would be the bad use case of curl, um, waking engineers in the middle <laughs> of the night. But, yeah, you shouldn't wake engineers, yeah, no. But perhaps that's more of a uh, implementation detail and not so, not so much a problem of curl. <laughs> I should add that to the manual. Yeah, <laughs> we'll wake engineers in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, switching topics a bit from the, the command line client and um, s- perhaps more um, so- soft level, uh, protocol level. Um, last year, HTTP2 has been uh, released and implemented well pretty much everywhere right now. Um, you've written some excellent blog posts and you have a really nice um, book ready for how HTTP works, the internals, getting... Uh, getting everything well understandable for mere mortals um, how was that to write um, it's been a lot of work actually but but it turned out i started i wrote the book or the paper or whatever we should call it after i made a couple of presentations on the topic and then i got so got so many questions about it from from people who couldn't attend or and people who asked me afterwards about the details so i decided to try to sort of document everything in a more permanent way so that people could read it in their own time and read it on paper instead of instead of sort of looking at video presentations or listening to me talk or whatever it, it's uh, it's pretty hefty book by now um, if anyone's interested in learning more about http2 that's definitely a recommended read um, we've been running HTTP2 for I think about a year now since it was final, um, well, ignoring Speedy. 
how, how do you see the future? Should we see, look at HTTP 3 or are we going to see a 2.1 spec first? I'm quite sure that there won't be a 2.1 as, as the as one of the key things when HTTP 2 was made was that it is HTTP 2, not 2.0. So the, there's no sub, there's no minor version in this protocol. So you're either compliant and you work with HTTP 2 or you're not compliant. And if you're not compliant with HTTP 2, it'll be something else. But, but and that said, what comes after HTTP 2 or in parallel with HTTP 2, that is sort of not crystal clear and it's not a given what, what is going to happen. We're already seeing now as um, Google experimenting or not, I would possibly even call it more than experimenting, they're running quick as a protocol for uh, both within Chrome and Google services. And quick is sort of an experiment beyond HTTP 2. I wouldn't call it HTTP 3, but it's definitely somewhere in going in in a direction beyond HTTP 2 at least. Could you describe what the difference is? What is quick perhaps? Quick, uh, that's then Q-U-I-C. Uh, that is a protocol which is, first of all, it, it is run over UDP, so it's not TCP. And it is, so which is quite different then because most of HTTP and transfer protocols have always been over TCP. So this is a protocol over UDP and then they implemented basically the rest of the protocol stack themselves running then from a client perspective in the browser. So they have a sort of a TCP, TLS, and HTTP2 protocol implemented in user space then over UDP. That's a lot of things to... <laughs> a lot of acronyms. <laughs> a lot of acronyms to get into your brain. And by doing that, um, not only can they iterate really fast, um, I would say that is possibly one of the better things they got out of this. You know, how slow it is to, um, for example, change things in the TCP uh, implementation or specifications, you know, adding TCP options and things that takes forever in standardization. And then you have to take forever to get it into kernels everywhere. And then in the end, you get problems on the internet anyway, because there's too many mailboxes that uh, prevent that from from working uh, the way you want and by implementing this this protocol all by themselves basically in both ends they could iterate really really fast and also by doing things like going over udp instead of tcp they have addressed several shortcomings that http2 still has like for example tcp head of blocking which is which basically means that if you're using HTTP 2, you're doing a lot of streams over a single connection, which basically uh, in the real world, that's the maximum number of streams is usually 100. So you can have 100 parallel streams going on over one physical TCP connection. And if you drop a couple of IP packets there when talking to your remote site, that those uh, lost packages in the middle that they um, they affect that single TCP connection, but that single TCP connection could be 100 different streams, and they're all sort of will be put on hold until you have retransmitted those missing packages 
packets um, in the middle of that TCP stream. That's actually in, a downside of HTTP2 that I, I hadn't actually considered. There's a big dependency on that single TCP connection to be always working. Yes, it is. But 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 um, but but it is it isn't actually that it isn't that big of a downside compared to HTTP one, because usually when you drop packets, you drop packets on all TCP connections. So usually when you have six TCP connections, like in the old days, you lose packets on all of them. So it's not really. Uh, um, much worse than HTTP one. It's actually better than HTTP one in many cases because it's usually better to have one connection than a, that loses packets than having six connections that lose packets. But it doesn't matter. But but in the in the quick case, they have made it so that they send packets that you so you can actually lose packets in the middle. And if you lose a packet in the middle, it'll just affect one stream or a few streams. But the other streams can go on. That is one thing that they addressed by by doing it this way they also for example they don't have the same um, connection do you know the tuples you have when you have a tcp connection how you know that it is a tcp connection you know the ip address the source yes. and so on they don't they don't um, um, associate connections with the same way in quick they're not they're not based on the TC, uh, ip address at all Cool. Which makes it that makes it really easy, you know, to move from interface to inf interface because they're not associated with the IP address. That's cool. The the, the big um, implementation challenge that I can see emerging is firewalling. If everything now is being firewalled on port eighty on TCP, if you're doing the same on UDP, most firewalls will probably just block this. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That is the challenge. I think the number is seven percent that that don't work at the moment. <laughs> oh, I would have expected <laughs> more, actually. I believe that's a number from Google. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, uh, the the number is also hard to know for sure. You know, that's a number they know with failed attempts. I I would imagine that uh, it might be higher in certain enterprise environments where, where they haven't yet run that much of a, a quick experiments. So, Do you know if and where they are running those experiments? Is this something that, that if I browse to google.com in Chrome right now, it, it should be using quick or not? Yes, it should use it. You, if you click on it now, it'll use it. That's cool. Is that, um, if you look at the inspector right now, it still shows HTTP2. Is that something being done behind the screens? Mm, no, if you see HTTP2, oh. it is HTTP2. So then it's not using Quick. You're absolutely right. It's now showing Quick or uh, <laughs> Speedy3. I totally missed this. That's cool. I can't really say if it's faster or slower because it's always fast, Google. <laughs> but it's cool to see that this is working. <laughs> yes. Uh, so so how fast Quick is in comparison to other things, that that is, of course, still left to see. I, I, I've seen numbers that Google are, have presented about how, how fast it is in comparison. And yes, it is faster, but it's, it's also sort of not crystal clear in all cases if it's better or worse. And there, there are a lot of obstacles still to solve. And um, they're, they're, I mean, we're basically at that point that, where Google, that Google was in when they made Speedy. And now they're taking Quick to the IETF, basically in the same way 
well, not exactly the same way, but like they did, like Speedy was taken to the ITF when HTTP2 was made. So now they're going to try to make quick an IETF standard or at least an, uh, an RFC. I'm not sure which track they're doing in ITF, but so they're going to try to make it properly documented and, and pull through the IETF system. That's cool. There's a lot of innovation coming from Google. Um, is this something that you see, well, probably you'll have to, Curl will probably support this eventually if the spec is final. Yeah, of course. Um, I would, I would be, uh, I would be happy to support it much sooner than final too. But it, well, it really depends on on time and and how it'll develop and so on. So, yeah, I would, I would like to get started on something quick-ish soon. But I'm not sure how much if I'll manage that. In the HTTP two case, I was sort of saved by a lot of the framing and the binary level stuff being made by a very, very productive Japanese guy. So we're in curl, we're using a library for a lot of the underlying HTTP2 magic. So that, that made it easy for us to support HTTP2 really early on. Thank you, productive Japanese guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the NGHTP2 project. Oh, that's a famous one. Um, right. I think they were one of the very first to have a web, public web server running HTTP2 with server-side push. Yes, yes, and he's uh, amazingly productive. So he he works hard and is very good. So when when he does things like that, you it'll, it'll, it is very useful for your project. <laughs> exactly. I I have no idea how to pronounce his name, but I'll make sure to uh, link to his blog and uh, wherever you can reach him in the show notes as well. Um, just to to have, perhaps venture a guess, um, the work that Google is now doing on the Quick protocol. Is that something we'll call HTTP3 or is this something entirely separate from HTTP as we know it? I don't think that will be HTTP3. It might, I mean, it might be what we could consider it, like a successor to HTTP2, but I don't think it'll be called HTTP3. So no, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, but I think those are mostly like technical reasons. I. Uh, it doesn't matter what it's called. <laughs> True. So more speculative work then perhaps. Um, if HTTP3 is out as a name, as a spec, what do you think should be in it? Or what do you hope there should be in it? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm, I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I've never been a really good, you know, um, visionary guy looking forward into the future and, and, and thinking about how things should or, or will turn out. So that, that's never been my my big uh, thing in life. So no, I don't know. I, I think there are things we should... I think there are, there are some problems with HTTP, like for example, cookies. But on the other hand, we have such a weird infrastructure on the web and on the internet that some of those things are really, really hard to change. So it'll, it'll depend a lot on what sort of will we can uh, collect among the people that are going to do these changes and, and write the code and, and make everyone uh, do the changes to the infrastructure that would be necessary to change things like that. So that is so that is why it's hard to predict when is, for example, then cookies is cookies ever going to go away? Uh, maybe, but it'll take a huge effort and 
it's hard to tell if that huge effort ever is going to actually manifest or if it'll just never happen. It's odd that we, um, I say we, I, I never had any part in it, of course, but um, to, to have some kind of state in a stateless protocol, cookies were invented. After all these years, they're still here. And by now they are so um, so ingrained, so, so, so there that you can't really remove them again from the world of HTTP. Um, it's a hack that, that, that became something of a permanent hack. Yes, but also because of that, um, in, like in comparison to, for example, web servers or web browsers, um, there are many, many, many more implementations of cookies. So it turned out that most, almost everyone has made their own cookie implementation. So changing cookies is much harder than changing basically anything else in HTTP. <laughs> That's too many edge cases. Yes, and too many custom things that just was made to work exactly like it worked once, even if no spec ever said exactly like that. And so we're sort of stuck in something that a lot, a lot of people have built over the years. It's a bit of a miracle that in all the browsers that are available, cookies work the way they work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's really hard to change. But there are some efforts to at least change them somewhat. So I think they'll at least gradually improve, but only gradually and only as far as it can go because it's it's a mess and it's not that easy to get out of that mess. Oh, true. In this case, players like Google, where they control both the web server um, and the clients, Chrome, they're in about the only position they can be to make such changes like in the quick protocol. Um, there really aren't that many players out there that can experiment at scale with both the client side and the server side. Um, innovation has to come from parties like Google, I think. Uh, yes. Um, it has to come from people that can actually deploy and run things in the wild across, I mean, on the real internet with a wide variety of, of use cases. But these days, especially after we've deployed HTTP2 everywhere with ALPN, for example, in TLS, it is now at least much easier for anyone to introduce new protocols to experiment with. It's much easier now to upgrade to another protocol. If you and me make a protocol tomorrow, we could call it Matthias protocol and we could actually negotiate that over the network. I'm already fantasizing what the Matthias protocol could do. <laughs> it would probably break everything. <laughs> But at least that would only break your, um, your, yours and mine client and servers. So, I mean, it, it has actually made a, a fairly neat infrastructure to actually start running new protocols in parallel with all the others. It's true. It's, to, it's the groundwork that we needed to have in order to build new protocols. Um, even if this right. means that today, if I wanted to run the Matthias protocol, um, which would use ALPN, um, it would use an OpenSSL version that is very hard for me to support <laughs> on my own servers. Um, so I, yes. I cannot run my own protocol. <laughs> oh, well, I'll live with it. <laughs> um, well, you work at Mozilla, uh, obviously known for mostly the Firefox browser, but there are a lot of projects coming from Mozilla. Um, what kind of innovation uh, should could we expect from Mozilla if you are at liberty to discuss them um, in the web field? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, 
I, I sometimes get so amazed by all the stuff people are doing. Um, we are so many people working on so many different areas of, of uh, the web and the internet. So um, I tend to get a little blinded by everything. So I, at, at times I just take a step back and look into my own little corner to to keep focused on the stuff that I am supposed to work on and, and do on. So no, it's really hard for me to predict. But of course, at Mozilla, we're focused on I mean, I shouldn't say focused. We're determined to to keep making the the browser and the web good and accessible and um, usable for users. So we're trying to be user focused and make things better in general for for users on the internet. And what that means, I think, it, it's not that easy for it's not up to any single player to say exactly where we're going. So we're, of course, trying to steer things and development in the direction that we think is the correct one. But then we're only so few. So it'll be it'll depend on what everyone else thinks is the correct way. And we'll going depend on user feedback. Um, are features appreciated or not? Um, I have to yeah, say one, fe- that, yeah. one feature that, that Firefox launched, I think last week, two weeks ago, um, was the idea of um, identities within tabs. So if you have several tabs open, um, you could be logged into Twitter on each tab in a different account. Um, that smells like a lot of cookie hacks on top of each other, <laughs> um, isolated in their own little sandbox. Um, but, <laughs> Basically. But, yeah, yeah. It, 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 there, I don't think there's any other way to do it. Um, there but, are, well, there is actually more than just cookie hacks, but yeah. Yeah, probably. TCP streams, i going to guess they're unique as well. Um, that would be your area, the, the networking side. Well, yes, but... Um... In, in this this particular implementation is actually made using the networking stack in 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 Firefox, but uh, I've not been involved in the so implementation of it. So the implementers of this they they're just using the networking stack, and we have worked on providing the features that they need for for this in the networking stack. But they have implemented it also. I have no particular insight. It, it, they basically have made sure that. The, the concept of origins within the browser can also be added so that you can have origins and a bunch of other um, parameters that has to that have to match for it to be the same origin that's that's so then you can make sure that you have the same actual site in different tabs but you have also need more parameters to match for them to actually be considered to be the same origin by the browser that is how it's keeps things separate. I think that's very cool. Even um, I, that's not something that is that is only possible in HTTP2. It's, it's something that's possible in the spec in general. That's even though it's that old, the, the protocol, seeing innovation still happening after all these years, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I think that is that is one of the things that fascinates me with working in this area that it, we're we're having this internet and the web and stuff that have existed now for quite a number of years. And we're still seeing that this pace of development, we're still seeing this imagination, this level of new ideas and things. And I think we're, we're going to see things going, growing and innovating for quite some more time. I think for so example, too. just looking at this trend that we're using much, much more objects on each website now, much, much more data. We're using much more video. So I think, yeah, 
there's a lot more to to be done i think oh, there are a lot of a lot of areas to improve in um i think probably the most difficult one to improve will be the the one where web developers um agencies advertisers <laughs> Uh, use or make correct use of those uh, implementations like not spam video screens in advertisements on top of pages that you have to click through uh, those are also very clever implementations of the protocol but i, I doubt they're doing anyone any good um hopefully that'll change right but that's more a question of of how to handle the content and and who, who's going to provide it and, and using what means so i think yeah that is a that is a, a question that we will struggle with for quite some time, I think. Yes, indeed. Thankfully, we have a lot of time, so there's a lot of lots of uh, possibilities <laughs> to fix this. Um, but yeah, it'll take time. Even the quick protocol will probably have the same challenges um, because it's purely an implementation of that uh, protocol. Oh yeah, I don't think we have seen any major new innovations in in that uh, area. I mean, we're all just sending HTML, and we have things sent in different ways over the html so yeah we haven't modified that much no we can just send it faster <laughs> <laughs> yeah or earlier <laughs> yeah true true uh, um slightly unrelated question perhaps but um i wanted to check with you if if you're a web developer today if that could be python or Perl or php whatever um according to you which web related technologies should those uh listeners invest time in to master what's what's relevant for a web developer that they should master today to still be relevant in five years um <clears throat> that is good is a good question i'm not sure i'm, I'm the most suitable person to uh, answer uh, questions about web in general because i'm too much focused on transfer and transfer protocols and not that much on more high level um, web webby things but possibly i would I don't know. It's I would a say difficult that, question. <laughs> it is a difficult question. And, and um, um, I would say that, for example, right now, I, I would say that there's, I would, there's a movement to make sure that things work better offline, to make sure that things in the web is more uh, app-like, for example. And, I, and I, that's a sort of a trend that I like because it makes the web better and everything that makes the web better, especially when you sort of yank out your cable or end up on an airplane is a good idea. So I think there's a, but in general, no, I don't have, I don't, I'm not a much of a webby guy. I'm, I'm sending things over protocols and wires, but I don't, I'm not a web person. <laughs> That's, that, that sounds odd coming from the person who, who leads the curl project. Um, at the same time, I can understand it from your point of view. You're implementing the protocol, the spec, the, the, the little teeny weeny details um, that probably no one notices that you do because we're just just using the command line. Um, but it makes yeah. sense from you. Yeah, and, and sort of my my entire focus, not only in my spare time, but even in my work time, that's, is I'm, I'm mostly doing transfer things, networking things. I'm, I don't know a lot of... Uh, things above the actual networking <laughs> so when it comes to things that are actually you know in the content or using the networking on top of that that's not my area i'm i'm not an expert an expert there yeah makes sense um from my personal point of view if if um if someone's listening and they want to learn more about well just the web in general i found just um 
trying out curl, just typing curl dash dash help and looking at what each parameter does um, gives you such a big insight into the protocol, into those teeny little with the teeny little details that actually make the difference between a request that works and a request that hangs or fails. Just understanding this from a rather low level gives you so many possibilities and so much power um, that you can use it in a variety of cool ways. Um, but it, it takes time and effort to just look at either the curl manual or the spec, which is rather boring to read. Um, and hard. It's and hard. hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so much, so it's hard to actually understand the details if you read that entire huge thing so no but no i agree i i think that when I, if you want to be an expert in something getting to know sort of the fundamentals were like if you want to be an expert on cars you might be want to know how the engine actually works maybe um or maybe you don't it depends on sort of where, where you're striving where, where you want to be but i of course think that protocol details are interesting and often very valuable to know and master even if you're not implementing your own protocol or anything you just know how it just knowing how it works and what the limitations are how the mechanics work that's that's useful and that's going to be a benefit even for your average web developer exactly when debugging something it's it's always good to know what goes on behind the screens um to really know what something like uh, I, I put a cookie on a subdomain why does it not appear on my main domain things like that if you don't know how cookies work or the, the, the fundamentals behind it are just they look like magic and they look like bugs because they don't work um, where actually it's just working as intended exactly so um, perhaps as a bit of a closing topic um, something totally unrelated to curl um, but still open source what kind of open source projects do you think listeners uh, should keep an eye out for big cool projects that you can think of big cool projects that i can think of curl no that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> anything beh- except curl uh, that um i think i think in general i think you should keep an eye out on things that you think is fun because i think open source in general benefits from people participating in what you what, what you think is fun and interesting and getting involved in whatever you think is fun and interesting that is what is going to drive um, your interest and make you learn things if you if you think it's fun and interesting so i think you should just go with whatever you think is looks to looks like the right thing for you it doesn't really matter um <laughs> And of course, if you want to be sort of part of what is developing right now, you would just dive in and, and find an interesting project that you read about or learn that it exists and, and does something fun that you're interested in. So, But in general, I think that is a fairly good guideline. Just go with what you think is fun. True. The, if it's not fun, you'll just burn out and never care anyway. Exactly. It's so much harder to actually do anything or learn anything if you don't appreciate it so going by just by joy is, is a much better guidance and if if you're interested in in current technology then you might think current technology things are fun and then you would pick that or if you're interested in some particular area or something that is if that is your interest go there and look i'm, I'm sure there will be a bazillion of different open source projects to dive in or help with or try out or start your own or whatever 
that's solid advice. Be a geek, have passions, go for it. Yes, exactly. And I think going there with your passion and your your search of doing fun things, that is it's a really good way to learn and participate. Indeed. And, and scratch your own itch. Whatever you have a problem with, whatever you found a problem or, or see a, an area where you would like to have things improved, go there and start poking and scratching and help out. And who knows, it may be the next girl. Or at least in popularity. I, I hope girl doesn't get replaced, of course. I, I want to see you keep maintaining girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I don't see myself stopping maintaining it. But I mean, there's no law in nature that says it has to be remain like this forever. There could be a replacement at some point in time. I could grow bored at some point in time. and Or maybe this sort of the technology changes direction so that something else becomes a more relevant project. Who knows? True. Lately, but but something of an, an, an also probably an unrelated topic. Um, there's there's been more and more talk about not so much a client server oriented web, um, but a distributed web. Something built on top of protocols like torrents or peer to peer or anything like that. What's your opinion on that? Is that a good move for the web? Um, in general, I believe that we have we're our our web of today is is becoming too com compartmentalized so we have less and less big player i mean we own, we're going to a, a, a internet and web in particular than with fewer and fewer big players uh, and not as distributed as it once was uh, and as distributed as we once thought it should be and you know dem democratizing and everything so i i believe that this distributing things and making trying to get back to being getting more players on the internet that that is only good i think even protocol wise i think having distributed things are in general better because it'll be be more i mean it'll be more <clears throat> it'll stand up against problems and and uh, reroute around problems better it's true it's it's a bit at odds in the way that um well let's bring back to google uh they're they're having a bit of a monopoly in a way on the web they, they manage so much on the web in a way that's beautiful they can implement protocols like quick and uh, improve the web for everyone at the same time right now we're happy because all of those changes appear to be good ones and um, are in favor of the open source web what if tomorrow they make a change that does not sound so good and it turns out that they manage about 50 percent of all the web traffic are we still going to be happy if big players make changes that perhaps we don't like to support? It's a tricky right. question in the future. But, but, but that is also sort of a, a reason why why we should all keep on participating in organizations that make things open and free, like uh, IETF or W3C or whatever organizations that make standards, make them open, make them available to make sure that any any program or sorry any company or anything that's one day suddenly decide to do things the wrong way we should still have all the tools and all the methods and protocols to do things the right way just switch off the bad ones or i mean uh, decline doing it doing things the wrong way and and say yes to to the companies and good guys doing things the correct way yeah that sounds about right <laughs> let's see if uh, in about 10 years um that worked out. I, I think what what the track record has proven us so far is that the IETF is uh, is is good at receiving um, 
looking back at something like Speedy, it's a really good implementation, but IDF just doesn't say, yes, it's good. It's uh, Yes, it's good, but we'll need a couple of changes to make sure that it's future-proof and uh, independent from Google. So those yes. are all good, cho- good choices. Yes, but but also that's, that's, it is kind of natural because when, when a company like Google, like in the Speedy case, they bring a protocol... Uh, when they provide a protocol sort of framework or here we wrote all this, this has proven to work, which all is good, you know, feedback and info. Well, we have metrics, we have data, it works this good. So, oh, okay, we, now we see that one of these, it is possible to deploy a protocol like this on the internet. Good. But then it turns out that Google is only one company. They have had their set of goals and use cases that they made the protocol optimized for. When they bring that to ITF, they'll suddenly face that there are a lot of other companies with different use cases and different ideas of what what sort of optimizations that are good and which are bad so it makes sense that they can't really drive their changes completely because all the other players in the ietf they won't agree that all the decisions were the right ones or the uh, trade-offs probably could be done differently and then you have to sort of debate that and make sure that people agree on on why things are made and how things should be made to actually reach whatever you want to reach. Yeah, the hard part of democracy is getting everyone to agree. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, it can be really hard times actually. Yes, which is probably what uh, what uh, made HTTP two take in in relative terms rather long because Speedy was already there. You would have thought that the the final spec would be easy, but there are a lot of parties to agree upon. So it's it's only it's only natural that it takes time to get a final version out. Yes, and ex- actually, by IUTF standards, HTTP uh, two was really fast. <laughs> so, indeed, indeed. So, so it, it, it might have been considered long, it, exactly by that uh, reasoning that Speedy already existed and, and was working. But I, I think pretty much every little bit that was provided in the Speedy spec has been modified in some ways in the HTTP spec. So. Everything, every turn, oh, sorry, every stone had to be turned, basically, you know. Yeah, all for the better. Okay. Yes. Daniel, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest. Um, This was a really interesting topic. I had a lot of fun recording it, too. I hope you did, too. Um, If people would like to reach out to you or get in touch with you, uh, how can they best get in touch? Well, I am um, at Bagder on Twitter which is an old nick I've used since forever. That's why it's so strange. <laughs> and uh, my website is at daniel.hacks.se. Hacks with H-A-X-X.se. I'll add all of those links in the show notes as well. Um, Daniel, thanks again. Uh, enjoy the rest of the evening or night as we are about to reach. Um, <laughs> take care. And uh, if I ever need another happy guest, I will gladly invite you as well again. I'd be happy to. Great. Take care, Daniel. Bye.